0: Welcome to the official podcast of DogsDaily.com, a sports illustrated channel. Gets to the edge, tell you We'll send the dogs home to the championship game. If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you're in the right place. Hosted by Dogs Daily Writers, Jeremiah Stoddard, Kyle Funderburk, and Jonathan Williams. Here's the pitch. And high out into right center with some carry. It's got a chance. This ball is out of here. Tucker Bradley has won it. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to.
1: All right, welcome back to another episode of Classic City Sports. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard, Jonathan Williams here with you. A fun one in Athens this weekend, got to beat down on South Carolina um, back in Athens after two years ago when they, you know, snuck up on Georgia there in a game that Kirby Smart came out and said, or you could, there was a video that surfaced where he said that they weren't ready before that game based on like warmups on there. So it was a really fun one to sit back and watch. One, I was there and I saw the warmups this week and I was down on the field area and there was definitely the energy that he said was lacking the time before it was definitely there. So it was fun to see it before the game even kicked off, that you could tell that there was a mentality of out being out there, just looking for blood, basically like they were there to do damage. Um, So it was a fun one to watch and and get into there. Um, But we're going to go through, you know, the offense, the defense, and then we'll shift over. We're a quarter way through the season. So we're going to sit there and kind of look at Georgia through the first three games. And then we'll look at, college football as a whole through three games and just kind of break down where everything is. Cause a lot of stuff has changed in three weeks in college football since we sat down like before the season kicked off. So what was your first impression jonathan of the offense i'll say we'll start with offense
2: offense was super efficient i mean we're finally seeing consecutive games now where georgia's put together a really efficient day on offense they looked really good against uab but it's also really nice to see them do it against an sec opponent no south carolina is not going to be one of your blue bloods from the sec by any means They're a rebuilding program at the time but nonetheless it's still sec talent these guys are still very good player, college football players. So still really good to see him do it against somewhat SEC competition. So they're really efficient. They looked really good. You know, had a few mistakes. Stetson came in for a series to an interception. Then JT Daniels had one about midway through the game. But other than that, I mean, really no complaints from the offense. I mean, maybe some areas, of course, to clean up in the run game up in the offensive line. Those are still questions, of course. There's still some struggles there. But Wide receivers look good. Adonai Mitchell had an absolute career game. It looks like he had his breakout game of what you would classify as with 77 yards of receiving and a touchdown. And then just all around, just a really good day for the offense. I mean, really nothing to complain about. They put up points and that's all you really needed from them and they got the job done.
1: Absolutely. And it was one of those things that, um, you you know, everyone wanted to see Georgia's offense be more explosive. Right. Because in the offseason, all we talked about and everyone talked about was, this Georgia offense is going to be different than what we had seen before. So everyone was prepared and like ready to see that you start the season off against Clemson and you see, you know, a zero touchdown three point offensive performance in that game that they win. So everyone walks away happy with it as a fan base, because that was a big game against a top five opponent. But then you go into UAB and yeah, like at that point you expect to score a lot of points and stuff quickly. And they did, they did exactly that. They put up, you know, we talked about this. There were five, five for five um, with four touchdown passes in, you know, just over a quarter worth of football or something like that. It can't be any more efficient than that. <laughs> like 250 yards passing or something crazy in that stat line for Stetson Bennett in that game. So you can't be much more efficient or much more explosive than that. So it was nice to see that translate over into a game against South Carolina, which is an SEC opponent now. Granted, they are towards the bottom tier of the SEC as far as like the overall, you know, powerhouse level that they are. So I'm not putting too much on that in general, but it is nice to see it translate over to a SEC game after you played a mid major opponent the week before. So I was really excited to see them score quickly um, on big plays. You know, the first few touchdowns were scored on, you know, 20 plus, you know, yard touchdowns. You know, the first three touchdowns that they had. We're over 20 plus yards, you know, 38 yards for one, um, 28 yards for over 20 something yards for another. So it's, you know, even on the, the ground, you know, the first touch of the game with James Cook was a 23 yard rush. So that's that's an explosive play. And that was nice to see still from our offensive line and from our running back core that we haven't seen that much out of. And I think a lot of people still came away from this game looking at the offensive line and like the running back core thinking that they aren't quite giving what you expected to. Going, you know, into the season, and I kind of looked over a few little things there, and and in this game specifically, and you know, as a team, they rushed for you know a a good number of yards. They still put up seven, I believe. Yeah, it was somewhere up that way, and and so they still put down a lot of rushing yards. They just don't have a ton of explosive runs like Georgia fans are wanting to see on top of it. But here's the thing, Georgia fans, you wanted an explosive passing game, and you wanted to see all that play out differently with Todd Munkin. You got that. Don't flip it to say now that you, you need a more explosive running game at the same time. It's 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 hard to have both of those consistently. You get one. And if I had to pick one or the other, I'm going to pick the passing game because it's a lot more explosive and a lot more like damage done through the air in that area of it. So personally, you can't complain when you have close to 200 yards on the ground as well. Well, I think it's important
2: also to realize is coming into the season, there was no doubt in anybody's mind that Georgia was lacking any talent whatsoever at the running back position. But what people were questioning was, what are they going to look at, look like at receiver, especially when Darnell Washington goes down weeks before the opener? You know George Pickens is going to be out, and then you also know Dominique Blaylock is going to take some time throughout the season to, get, to progress and get back to 100%. And then also Kiris Jackson dealing with an injury. Arian Smith currently dealing with an injury. So there's a lot of questions there. So what's really important to see, and even Jermaine Burton at the beginning of the season was dealing with some injuries as well. So what's really good to see is that, hey, you got to see JT Daniels fully in the offense. We didn't even know if he was going to play this last Saturday. And then he was announced a starter and just absolutely balled out, 303 passing yards. So that's also good to see. You finally get to see JT Daniels this season Absolutely explosive in this offense. But then also you're seeing your tons of wide receivers. I mean, we know about Brock Bowers by now. We know what he can do. My gosh, what a freaking football player as a true freshman. Jermaine Burton got out there, and he's just absolutely balled. He balled out last Saturday. And then also you're adding into Don A. Mitchell as well, who looked really good. I mean, you're allowing the receiver to get the receiver position to gain a lot of depth right now. You're getting guys, snaps, and in-game reps that are going to be really important down the stretch of the season because. Yeah, it'd be nice to have like Arian Smith 100% healthy, which he will be soon. I think that was more of just a precautionary thing of why he didn't play Saturday, dealing with a calf contusion. And so, but then, I mean, something you also have to remember is Dominic Blaylock. I mean, he's on the verge of being 100% back. I mean, right now, you just want to make sure that he's completely comfortable. You don't want to throw him out there, re injure anything, of course because he's taken such a long time for him to get back on the field. So getting him back is going to be really important. Kyrus Jackson is still continuing to heal. So once you have this unit completely together, A, your offense in passing wise is just going to be off the charts at that point. I mean, when you have this completely healthy wide receiver, and even if it isn't ever 100% completely healthy, you know now that you have all the guys and all the people that you need to make this successful. So that is probably going to also lead up to – like the running game, being able to open up more. Because, I mean, everybody knows Georgia's um, identity usually is to pound the ground, run the ball. But we're also seeing now where that's changing, and Georgia is no longer that team. They're proving it every single week now. And so teams are going to have to start respecting that at some point. And so that's a really good thing to see. So, yeah, the running game is struggling. Yeah, the offensive line has some question marks. But the passing game might help you improve that running game and kind of get it going as well. But really it's nothing to
1: worry about. No, it's nothing to worry about. Once again, we're talking about an offense that people are coming back and saying, you know, our running game is is still not doing that great in a game that, one, we had a 23-yard touchdown run to start the game, and then we had 197 yards rushing for Georgia as well. So when you have those on top of it and you have people coming back and saying, you know, we, we don't have that great of a rushing offense this year. Well, isn't that what Georgia fans wanted to shift it more to a passing focus? It was 303 yards passing for JT Daniels this week. Isn't that what people want to see? I, I mean, personally, I'm, I'm okay with the balance on that. 500 yards worth of offense is perfect for me. Like, I, I won't complain about that on offense. And it was funny, I was listening to uh, 680 The Fan because Brooks Austin jumped on there for a few minutes tonight, uh, which today is Wednesday, the September 22nd, about 726 right now. And about an hour ago, he jumped on there and he was talking about They asked him, he said, you know, you come away from a win, a twenty-seven point win against a SEC rival—that the last time that they were in Athens, they beat you in your home, you know, field—and you walk away from that game winning by twenty-seven points, upset. Like a- people are upset and and complaining about things. And as a fan base, you got to be able to to enjoy those wins. You you add extra stress to yourself when you just look at that and you say, "Ah, we won," but. I'm upset because of the no. Just sit back and enjoy. The same thing I said when we, you know, came away from Clemson with a win is, man, that was a top five team. I don't care what the offense looked like. I don't care how many points we put up or gave up or whatever on that part. Georgia won the game against a top five opponent. That's all that I I cared about in that game, to be honest, as a fan. And coming away from South Carolina, I mean, what did you want them to do against South Carolina? You wanted them to beat them by. Fifty, sixty, which I get. Probably to cover. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you. But I said this originally, and I even I was talking to somebody, and I got a look from um, I think it was Georgia's uh, Tennessee or tennis coach that was on the sideline area, and when I was talking, and I was talking to somebody else, and they were asking about like the spread, and I was like, "You take South Carolina." by points in this game. And like the guy just looked and I was like, by points, by points, yeah. like you're not taking South Carolina straight up, lot, but like man. 31 points is a lot of especially points for SEC. All right. Exactly. And especially knowing how Georgia has handled things in prior years when it gets late in the game, they don't yeah, keep trying to score 60 points against teams like this. They usually slow down a little bit. And like, if you looked I looked up something when we get into the Georgia's full season of it, it was points by quarter on there. I think they scored about 106 points total on the year and seven of them were in the fourth quarter it, you, late in the game the other team is still trying to score as aggressively as possible george is trying to run the clock and, and just get out of there because the more you push the more you do late in the game like that the more you risk injury and the more you push things to cause other issues that don't need to be there because you're so worried about covering the spread or something like that no it they almost covered the spread they would have covered the spread however there was a from my opinion and from what everybody else has said, a fumble that shouldn't have been a fumble for Kendall, yeah. that led to seven points, right? The only touchdown that Georgia's defense has given up all year came off of a fumble that shouldn't have been a turnover. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, at that point, like, you can't be too concerned about not covering the spread and, and complaining about that. I mean, yeah, there's always stuff to worry about. Kirby said it best himself. A video surfaced I think SEC Network posted it first, and it was talking him talking in the locker room, and he said... Um, first of all, he said that, you know, they were elite in several different places on it, but he said, when I turn on the tape, there will be areas for improvement, room for improvement in in different areas on there. And so then he went on to say that different areas that there was positives and elite play, you know, inside the twenties on both sides, offense and defense. He said that was elite, that kind of thing. But he said, the thing is you're, you're practicing and training to not to beat somebody, but you're, you're practicing to beat everybody. So, yeah, the coach is going to sit there and pick apart things in there and say, hey, we have these issues. This needs to be improved because there's always going to be room for improvement. But as a fan, after watching it, let them just enjoy the win. Well, and You don't not- have to be concerned about all that as much as he, as Kirby and the team does let know that they're handling it and enjoy it. Well, and also you have to remember Shane
2: Beamer used to work with Kirby Smart. So you're not going to see Kirby Smart running up the score or trying anything late in the game either. He wants to show his respect to Shane Beamer as well, knowing also that he is rebuilding a program at the time. But um, kind I think it's a good time to shift over to the defense only because I bring up Shane Beamer and <laughs> a clip surfaced, I believe, Saturday night. Um, it Shane Beamer doing his press conference. And I'm not going to quote the whole thing or anything like that. And I'm sure most of you have seen it because it's just absolutely hysterical. Only because you really don't ever see head coaches be so honest like Shane Beamer was after the game. And basically he was asked if Georgia's defense did anything special to stop their offense. And he basically left it at uh, they have 105 stars. They have a 300-pound-plus human being that runs like nobody's business. And they have studs all over the field. So, no, they didn't do anything special. They're just a really freaking good football team. So, and I think that just perfectly sums up George's defense. And, and it's really nice to hear that coming from another head coach. You know, it's one thing to hear your own head coach say, like, oh yeah, we're really talented on defense. We know that. But I mean, for Shane Beamer to put it in that perspective, basically saying like, no, they don't do anything special. They're just really freaking good. So I thought that was hysterical. I appreciated Shane Beamer just being 100% honest with himself and with everybody and basically putting it into perspective like, uh guys, this these people are really good. Like, don't take them lightly or try and think that they do anything magical on defense. Like they're just really freaking good.
1: Yeah, it's not that they're not doing anything crazy to to perform the way they are. It's just they're the the Joes are better and the X's and O's are normal, but the Joes are out there like, you yeah. know, the Jimmies and Joes are the ones out there, like just they're just good players on top of it. They're the scheming isn't insane. Now there's some great Schemes drawn up, but it's not like something new. That's what he said. He was like, "There's, they're not drawing up brand new schemes. You know, if you watch Brooks Austin's film breakdowns this week when he covered the defense, because he mentioned something on this too, and he was looking at it, and he was like, look at this play specifically right here, right? And he's like, all right, five guys come in, five offensive linemen right here. They have the right protection called. They they slide the right way. They pick up the mic ID with Nakobe Dean coming downhill from the middle linebacker spot. But guess what? The center just gets absolutely beat immediately. He just beelines for him and goes by Couldn't him. Couldn't stop him because the guy was just that athletic and just basically almost it looked like he almost ran by him. But they had the right type of protection built in. They were prepared for that play, but it came down to the Jimmys and Joes at that point. But He just beat him on that part, which Georgia has a lot of. And
2: I mean, you can just go down the list. I mean, of the amount of players that just had an outstanding game. Nolan Smith was one of them, had an outstanding game. One in particular who I loved watching the entire night was anytime 41 Channing Tindall was on the field. I mean, I made a tweet saying like uh, Channing Tindall looks like he's trying to catch a murder case tonight <laughs> because every single time he was on the field, he was putting hat on hat coming to catch a body every single time. And he was looking to hurt somebody as well. So I love watching Channing Tindall play, and there's just tons of them that you can watch. I mean, everybody loves watching Jordan Davis just absolutely manhandle whoever's in front of him and getting to the quarterback at will. Devonte Wyatt is looking really good. Brooks Austin talked about his get off
1: is just absolutely different. compared to anybody else he's got a quick first step
2: yeah any next time you watch georgia just watch 95 watch him get off the line i mean it is elite like stuff you don't see from anybody else i mean it's insane i mean so just from top to bottom this defense is just all around really good now of course there's also going to be some weaknesses elsewhere like you're trying to figure out the cornerback two spot who's going to play across from darian kendrick we looked at amir speed he had some iffy moments throughout the game, got burned a couple times. Keely Ringo came in. He also had his moments of his own. So they're still trying to figure that out. But, I mean, really, if there's any defense right now in the entire nation where you can just say, like, these guys have it figured out. And, you know, without a doubt, every time that they're going on the field that they can get you a stop. It's George's defense right now. I mean – I've just never, I've really, I really don't know if we've ever seen anything like this. And I know that 2017 Georgia defense was really, really good, mostly because you have Roquan Smith on the field, Lorenzo Carter, and a bunch of older guys. But I mean, one, this defense has seniors and juniors, I believe, from top to bottom, aside from like, you know, some substitutions with Keely Ringo being a freshman and some other guys. But these, this is a veteran defense who it's just stacked across the board. I mean, you have insane depth at the defensive line position. You have insane depth at linebacker. You're building up your depth with cornerbacks. I think when Tyke Smith gets back, you'll be able to move guys around some more. You'll be able to figure out some things a lot more and really get into your groove. It's kind of scary to say that Georgia hasn't gotten into the groove on defense, but they've got guys that are not healthy right now that will be healthy, and it's just going to add even more toys that they can play with on defense and make them even more elite.
1: Yeah, for sure. And when you watch back those plays, too, because you talk about, you know, the other cornerback spot with, uh, you know, speed and Keely Ringo having some issues. And they definitely did the where they got beat on all the plays that they got beat on. They're basically playing man to man press coverage. And the person like the wide receiver is one step and then they're behind them. Mm -hmm. And so they're playing, you know, catch up. And that's that's what that, – and it seems to be like a coaching scheme of what they're trying to do and how they do it. And think back to when Tyson Campbell was there and everyone mm-hmm. was so concerned with him about you know how he would cover. And and you you sit there and go, man, at least three or four times during the season, you're like, man, that was a pick. Instead, at, th- at least three in his last year there that I watched, at least three were pass interference calls that would have been picked off. Because all he had to do, if he was watching the ball at all or looking over his shoulder at all, mm-hmm. instead of just – Face guarding, basically, the ball hit him in the back when he's running through the receiver. Basic, literally, would like, hit him in the back. So that it, it's a coaching style for Georgia is how that's how they yeah. do it. But when it comes to those two players, they're not doing very well in that type of coverage. Mm-hmm. They, they're it's the first step. Literally, go back and watch the first big play they made in the first quarter, where um, it's a mere speed who so yep. gets beat on that go route. It's literally a go route, and it's the ball is thrown immediately. Basically, within like a second of the snap, he Mm -hmm. snaps it. The wide receiver takes two steps and has already got, you know, behind the defensive back and the ball's thrown. It's lobbed up until he runs under it. And that's the only reason it even was as deep as it was, because it was literally thrown that quick. Go back and watch it. It's instant. Mm -hmm. Also, peep your boy in the background when they land on the (laughs) ground. I'm in that picture as well. So but anyway, so like you can see that. And so you're like, all right, they're struggling, mm-hmm. but that's their biggest issue is that yeah. one piece of their game. Other than that, I don't see the, an issue. It's that one thing. It's that first step when they're playing press like man coverage. And I think Brooks really put it perfectly. And he said, now,
2: it, it is worrisome that Georgia does have question marks that really don't seem to be getting fixed at this point in the season. But it's also two out of 22 positions. One of those being at right guard on the offensive line. The other one being the cornerback two spot. I mean, two out of 22, that's pretty freaking good if you ask me. And then also he, he mentioned with speed and Ringo is that when they do play press man coverage is that – Typically, you want, especially a guy like Amir Speed or Keeley Ringo, who have really good length and size for a cornerback, which is what Kirby Smart and them absolutely love in their cornerbacks, is you want them being physical right off the line. And that's something that you didn't see at all from Speed when he got burned. And also what you didn't see from Ringo when he got burned is they just try and start running with the receiver. Don't put any hands or anything on them. And it's too late by the time they do put a hand on them and they're already burned and they're just playing catch up down the field trying to make a shoelace tackle. So by that, you may, it seems like, okay, that seems like an easy fix, which it may be. I mean, I don't know. I'm not the football guru. I don't break down the film or anything like that. But you would have to think that that probably is an easy fix, something that isn't like a make-or-break thing for Georgia at this point. They have the guys. They have the talent to fill that position, and you're only going to get better as the weeks go on. I mean, Ringo's getting more reps. That's really important. And then also speed. I mean – it's good to have competition. You know, it's it's good for speed to know that, okay, Ringo's getting in a lot as well. So like if I want to staple myself into the starting lineup for the rest of the year, I need to perform as well. So they've got that edge about them. They have that competition going, which I think is really beneficial as well. But nonetheless, the defense is just absolutely freaking unreal.
1: Yeah. And it's one of two things that for the cornerback spot that can be done with it, like from my perspective. And once again, I'm not that, you know, football guru that's breaking down on the film either. But like you can have one of two things happen on that first play that was a big play that would have honestly prevented it from happening as one is just the cornerback just taking both hands and just shoving them directly yeah. into the chest of the wide receiver as soon as they t- got off that line that will cause him like they're big receivers they're not going to like fly backwards obviously but it'll pop him off his line it'll slow it down that first make step. him redirect at least a it'll redirect bit. him and slow him down yeah. and so at that point you don't have him two steps in and already behind you so that's number one. And those two cornerbacks can easily do it and do it very Absolutely. well. Some corners can't do that because they'll they'll reach their arms out and their arms will get swatted down. And all of a sudden that puts them out of position. I think that might be the concern. This is speculation because I don't know what's going on in that coaching you know, room and, and when they're breaking stuff down on these players. But that could put them out of position. So maybe that's keeping them from doing it. But that would prevent it if they could get that good shock in right off the bat. And then they could have that step. Basically, it gives them a little bit more time to get back themselves or two, just be a lot more prepared for that first step backwards themselves. Expecting them to kind of be running on a go type thing more, um, you know, and that's also somewhat dangerous as well because if you your first step is immediate, like too far back, and say they hit that foot in the ground one, and then they hit a slant across the middle, at that point you're two yards behind them on a slant. And you're in trouble there too. Yep. So it, it once again, I'm not the football guy, the same way that these coaches are, and Brooks pointed this out perfectly as as far as who's on the staff. There's not. A, a school in college football that has better defensive back coaches yeah. than Georgia between its head coach, who was a great defensive back when he played between, um, Muschamp, who is now on the field for everything as well as a great defensive back coach. You got Jamila, Adai, who is the actual defensive back coach who was phenomenal, came from West Virginia, who led the nation in passing defense from a air raid defense, like or setting out there. And even Schumann, he said even Schumann was a great defensive back coach, even though he's a linebacker coach. So you have all of those guys in the room. You can't get much better coaching. Heck so I'm no. going to trust their judgment on whatever they're doing. It's speculation on our part of what we can see, but I'm sure they're looking at it and going, yeah, these idiots right here, why would we do that when, you know, this hasn't really had too much of an issue with it, yet here we are. Um, and, and once again, they it was South Carolina. It didn't end up biting them. Our, you know, Georgia's defense is that good that once they got those big plays – they settled for field goals. Yep, that's it. That's that's all they gave up on there. Um, and I'll tie in the last. There was one stat that really, really stood out to me on the defensive side. That's worth noting is, and it, on both sides of it, for them and for uh, Georgia, for South Carolina and Georgia, okay. one Georgia had three sacks. But the bigger story too there is the ones that they the almost sacks because we talked about this once before. The quarterback hurries. This is the second week. I think it was Clemson where they had about 26 as well. They had Mm -hmm. 26 quarterback hurries on top of their three sacks this week. The crazy stat line, right? So you talk about like the offensive line. And I think the biggest issue for Georgia as a whole was offensive line in general, not necessarily just the right guard. It's become the right guard because Mm -hmm. of Tate Rallage getting hurt almost two, three plays into the season and being out. So they had to plug in some spots there at that position. Otherwise the offensive line might be better than it actually would look. So I'm going to give them a little bit of a break on the offensive line as a, as a whole, they are struggling in rushing, like run blocking some to open up those gaps in different ways. Their pass blocking can't get much better. Yes. Erickson, uh, Warren Erickson is a little bit of a liability in those downs. Like lately he's been hunted and like the sacks are coming directly over top of him Mm. when they come in there on the passing downs outside of the one sack that Warren Erickson allowed, Zero quarterback hurries. It's phenomenal. No quarterback hurries in a game where we were throwing the ball very well. So to me, the offensive line definitely has a lot of questions, and they, they need somebody to step up at a couple, one, or, one or two positions on there in order to propel them the rest of the way. But as far as pass blocking goes, they had one error by, by the right guard that led to a sack. But other than that, they didn't even have a hurry. JT Daniels didn't even get hit. That means he didn't get hit. If there was no hurries, he didn't get hit other than the sack. Yeah, you're protecting the If we get, guy. if you can tell me Georgia's offense will allow one sack per game, and that'll be the only issue in pass protection that they have, or a zero quarterback hit. Other than that, every time I'll I'll sign that contract right now. Sign me up for it. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you know the the game the game plan on both sides of the line for Georgia to me wasn't that bad. It, no. it really wasn't. No, and yeah, and so. It shows you also that it's not just a complete mess
2: when talking about the offensive line. It's, they're, they were really good in pass pro last year as well, and so they're showing that again this year, that they are really good in pass pro, and also this is, again, something that is fixable. I don't know how they're going to fix it or when they're going to fix it or how they're going to go about it. You can shift some people around the line, I think, that'll plug in better in positions that'll put people in some better positions where – you're not having no liability on offensive line. I don't know if they're going to do that or how they're going to go about that. I won't get into detail about that. But I, so I think this is also good. We're talking about question marks. I think it's a good time to talk about college football as a whole right now and talk about the number of question marks that surround college football right now. I mean, I don't think that we've, in the college football playoff era at least, I don't think we have ever seen a season like this. And three weeks in at least, I know that. I mean, it's there's still a long way to go in the season, of course, but still three weeks in. There's a whole lot of question marks and a whole lot of I don't even know where this is going right now. And I don't know how it's going to end.
1: We kind of talked about this going into the season um, and to kind of tie back to an old episode there. We looked at it and said and there was a reason that we came on here and said that this is a year that it's a playoff or bust season for Georgia. Yep. The reason for that is one, the talent on the roster like top to bottom backup starters everywhere around outside of a few little position group that had some, you know, issues we talked about with defensive back and stuff like that, that appeared out of nowhere for them, which they've done a fairly good job handling mm-hmm. for the most part. They've got the roster. They've got the talent. They've got like the coaches, they've got everything that they need to put something together on that. But the other side of it is college football this year, going into the year. There was a lot of restarting for a lot of big teams that opened the door for Georgia to make a run on that playoff spot. That is playing out to be true. We Absolutely. once again like I I'm going back to we talked about this before and it's it's happening. Clemson's already dropping. They you know, they lost to Georgia when you good. They looked really bad against Georgia Tech. There was a they were basically one play away from having that game tied up in the fourth quarter with Georgia Tech, and they only scored 14 points lost on them, to or Northern, 13 points. And Georgia Tech lost to Northern Illinois yes. in their season opener. Yeah. So you look at these, that team challenged them in that way as well. So we talked about that because they were starting over on offense pretty heavily with DJU being you know the quarterback who's highly touted, Quarterback, You know, he might develop into being a very, very good quarterback for him down the road, but it's his first year as a full starter. So that's mm-hmm. number one. They lost their all-time leader in rushing yard, like the ACC's all-time leader in rushing yards in Travis Etienne. And just a few little things as well throughout the offense and wide receiver and everything like that. So when you have all of that happen, you look at that team as saying they're resetting on offense. That's one team that we have an advantage over. Then you look down to Bama and you go, okay, Bama is... You know, they came out strong to start the season as well, but one thing that we've learned about Bama at this point is, one, their rush defense is a little suspect, mm-hmm. but they also had to start over on offense themselves with a new quarterback in Bryce Young, who is a great quarterback once again, but he's – Mac Jones just left, you know, they, who was a finalist for the Heisman. They lost um, – Smith, Smith Jalen Waddell, I mean, Najee Harris, go down the list. Their offense, of they they, re, they had to reload everywhere on offense, which they are the ones that can do that consistently. So they'll still be a powerhouse, but they're slightly a step below where they would have been with all of those guys and all oh, of them leaving yeah. at one time. No doubt. Ohio State, they lost their starting quarterback after a few years, yeah. and they're <clears throat> struggling clearly they in that way struggling. as well. In Oklahoma, Starting over at quarterback and other positions with them as well. So you have all these teams that are basically having to re plug in quarterbacking. That's the hardest one to reset with. Most important. All position. of these quarterbacks could be very good by the time they leave these schools, but they're young. It just opens up a door for Georgia in that spot. Guess what? Clemson not looking good. We just said that. Yeah. Ohio State looking terrible, and Oklahoma looking terrible. Then you have Bama who had looked really good in the first couple of weeks and they showed some signs of imperfection in week 3 against Florida. They started strong. They went up 21 to 3 or something like that and early early on in that game I think it was first quarter. And then they let Florida creep back in because Florida ran for 40 42 times for like 245 yards or something in that nature. I think I'm trying to remember off the top of my head and they struggled to stop it.
2: Yeah, and This is where it just gets crazy because, I mean, you just look at the rankings right now. You have Alabama 1, Georgia 2, Oregon sitting at 3 right now. Is Iowa 4 right now?
1: I'm trying to think. Iowa is number 5. Okay, so Oklahoma's at 4, correct? Yeah.
2: So Oklahoma's at 4, Iowa's at 5. You got Penn State in the top 10 right now. And then you also have, I think they're like seven or something. Yeah. It, Somewhere in that range. I don't know. Cincinnati is also, or Cincinnati is up there, or is that, I'm trying to. Think. I think they're in the top 10. Okay. I'll pull it up real quick while you're talking. Okay. And then I believe it's Clemson, Ohio State rounding it out at nine mm-hmm. and 10 right now. So you just want to talk about a huge doors open right now for anybody to take it. Now is the opportunity for teams to really. Okay. So let's see. We got it pulled up right now. Okay, yeah, Penn State's at 6, Texas A&M 7, Cincinnati is at 8, and then, yeah, like I said, Clemson and Ohio State rounding out at 9 and 10. Clemson being at 9, Ohio State at 10. Door is wide open right now, and there's just a lot of teams where you're like, they have a pretty favorable schedule right now to win out. And so it's just really – to me, it, I love it. I think it's going to be absolutely madness. I especially am going to love it if slash when two SEC teams get put in and then you have someone like Oklahoma who very well s- still could go undefeated throughout their season. Like I said, they have a very favorable remaining schedule as well for them. I, don't, I think their toughest game probably remaining on the schedule is Texas, maybe. I think there's another one that I'm forgetting about right now, but they're still probably going to be favored in those games. And so you're talking about Oklahoma could very well go undefeated in the rest, uh, undefeated this year and get left out of the playoff. A one loss Clemson. Assuming they don't lose, which looks like to, them, to me right now, for them going undefeated the remainder of the year, doesn't look very, very likely right now, but still could go undefeated the remainder of their season. They probably are getting left out right now, too, if they continue to struggle like they do. Ohio State, they probably – I mean, they, I think they played Penn State this year, I believe, if you want to check that for me. But I believe they play Penn State this year, so that will be a big game if they do play each other. They do
1: in – a few weeks like so the, the Georgia florida weekend Saturday okay. October 30th is Ohio State and Penn State. So
2: that'll be a really telling matchup for the Big 10 right there. And so but nonetheless I don't uh, I don't think Penn State's that good either is the thing. no, and I mean they beat Auburn, but Auburn is probably like Brooks said
1: six best team in I the think SEC that was right generous. now. And yeah, that's, I think that was probably generous. He, generous. he basically just cuz I, I was listening to that too and he he basically said you know five SEC West teams and then Georgia I mean, you you got to think that, like, to be honest with you, Auburn might not be better than Arkansas right now. No. Which I think they play each other this year as well. Oh, like. yeah. I think they yes. do. Yes. And so that'll be a – or they definitely play yeah, each other. They're in the West. They're in the West. Of course they play. I think they, they mm. might lose that game. We talked oh, about yeah, that when no we broke doubt. down the season there. And then um, Kentucky. I think Kentucky is probably a better team as well. So they might be as low as, like, the eighth-ranked SEC team by the end of the season as well. And – Penn State barely beat them. Yeah. So this, at home in a wideout, which is a your big biggest game of yeah. the year. Yeah. When you do a
2: wide out at Penn State, I mean, it is stapled in as that's your biggest game of the year. Environment's going nuts. I mean, I'd love to be in the middle of those stands for that type of game. But so yeah, you edge them out, you beat them by seven, I believe. Mm-hmm. And but is it really that great of a win, honestly? So, I mean, so uh, Ohio State and Penn State, that matchup, of course, will be very telling. But nonetheless, my point is if Ohio State, goes undefeated. I mean, there are just so many teams on here where you're like, okay, well, yeah, you went undefeated, but it really didn't look all that pretty. And if you're going to do that to teams like Cincinnati who go undefeated, you're like, well, we can't let you in because you kind of struggled in your schedule. You really didn't look all that impressive. Well, then by gosh, you better do it to teams like Ohio State and Oklahoma. You, I mean, you have to be you have to be equal on those types of things at this point, especially when you're having a season like this, and if, especially if this trend continues. And then also you jump over to Oregon, which is kind of a touchy subject because I kind of clowned the fact that – I was uh, going to let Oregon, you start that or one. Or even the fact that Oregon could possibly be in the playoff. But I, I will say this. I'll defend myself. I said there's no way that Oregon gets in with two losses, which I still stand by that. I don't think they get in with two losses. But nonetheless, they're sitting at three right now. And the Pac-12, ooh, I don't see anybody competing with them right That's now. Their-
1: their lifeline to it is Oregon getting into you know the playoffs. Oregon's the the lifeline for the Pac-12 right now. And yeah. I'm with you. I don't think that there's another team in the Pac-12 because UCLA lost now, yeah. and they didn't look good. So I don't know that there's that many teams in, in the Pac-12 that are going to really compete with them at that level right now because UCLA lost to Fresno State, I believe, which isn't that the team that um, didn't Oregon play them first and they struggled against them? Yes. So maybe Fresno State's just a little bit better than you know, people expect on that part. But they gave uh, Oregon a run for their money, and then they beat UCLA. And so now UCLA is taking a step back. I definitely don't see Oregon having two losses, which is why I think that they, they might have a really good chance at getting into the playoffs now. Oh, and they have their big win. They went to Ohio
2: State and right. beat them. So that's another that's big their thing notable to talk win. about. Yeah. yeah. They have a notable win, which Ohio State does not have right now. Clemson's not going to have. And they better hope that Penn State, if they – if they beat them, they better hope that Penn State stays within the top ten, or else they're not going to have a notable win throughout the rest of the season. Unless Michigan somehow continues to just absolutely blow out, which I'm not buying that right now either. I'm I'm, I'm selling that stock, as yeah, Brooks would say. As Brooks I'm would say, we're selling stock. we're selling on that. But um, so if I'm Ohio State and Oklahoma right now, I am really worried because I'm not sure winning out is enough for you to get in the playoff. As in past years, where it was like, oh yeah, we just have to win out in our conference or whatever, and we're a shoe in. It's not looking like the case right now at all. And so if I'm Oklahoma or Ohio State, I am really worried. You better hope you start beating teams that you should beat by 40 or 30 like you should. And then also you better hope that you have an opponent at some point in this season that is ranked within the top 10 or at least top 15 to give you a notable win. And you better win your conference.
1: So, well, and I, to jump in on it as well, like I, one thing that the AP, like AP poll alone has showed us that has actually been refreshing this year that we've seen is, they're giving credit to one. They gave and cre- people don't want to hear this. Probably they gave credit to Florida in the sense that they uh, they did come down to a two point game against the number one team in the country. So they stayed in the same spot on the polls after the yeah. loss, which I think it was fair at eleven. I, mean, you I think that's the fair. Number one team, the number one team, and it was a close game. So yeah. I think that's fair to keep them. Now they definitely shouldn't have risen into the top ten. Oh, no. which some people were you asking do for. That for a loss. Never should they go up after the loss on there, but I, I agree with maybe keeping them at eleven there. I think that's fair. Yeah. But after watching what the the AP poll has done to both Oklahoma and to Ohio State and Clemson, and Clemson when you know, when Clemson lost to Georgia, they dropped to six after beating uh, Georgia Tech by three. They they are now what would we say like nine they're nine or ten I can't
2: I remember think they're nine about.
1: I think they're nine right now though and I think Ohio State was ten or something like that Ohio State so and Ohio State who lost one game and then they won another but they're they're struggling against these teams they're dropping because they're struggling against these teams that they should be beating handedly and Oklahoma did the same they dropped back after winning because they're still undefeated they dropped back a little bit noted not a ton but a little bit to let Georgia jump in front of them. Based on them winning against a team that they should have blown out, but not doing so, yep. that's been refreshing to see. Something that we have seen, excuse me, the College Football Playoff Committee do consistently as well is look at the team as a whole and has actually been kind of fair on it as well. It's really re- it's a positive sign to see. I don't see Georgia missing the playoffs, even if they end up with one loss to a Bama in the SEC Championship game. Mm-hmm. I think that that would still be, especially the way things are playing out. Yep. I think that they're in at that point. And I think there's a really good shot for a team like Oregon or something to get in. I definitely would say that there's going to be a second SEC team. I would almost lock in the fact that there's going to be a second SEC team in the playoffs this year. By the looks of things, yes. Because you're going to have a team like Bama and Georgia, who neither one of those teams is having two losses this year. That's all I'm going to say. They're not having two losses. So I think it's highly possible that it's those teams unless – a Bama or somebody comes in and struggles against, a uh, you know, an Ole Miss or a Texas A&M or something. Those are bigger games. And so that could create some question marks in that spot side of it. But even if it's not Bama somehow, somehow there's another SEC team coming in because if it's not Bama, that means either Ole Miss or Texas A&M overtook them. And if they did, that means that's the team that's going to slip in there. Like, that'll that be the team that has the argument to get in. You you could almost make an argument for three teams from the SEC if it gets down to a Georgia and uh, Alabama undefeated season playing against each other in the SEC championship game. And maybe you have an Ole Miss that only has one loss afterwards. At that point, they have a strong argument to be right there at the end of it. And quite frankly, I'm excited to watch. I know we talked about a very notable game. This will be the last thing I say, and I'll pass it back to you to wrap everything else up on it. The, we, the notable game we put in the West was George, or, uh, Texas A&M versus Alabama. I'm really excited for the old Miss-Alabama game because we saw what they did before. We saw Bama still struggle a little bit on defense and still giving up a decent number of points on their defense to where it's going to come down once again to whether or not Bama can score enough to win that game, which they are very capable of. Let me state that very clearly. They are capable of scoring plenty of points as well. But it—they will have that game's going to be a shootout. Mark my words, that game is a shootout with both teams scoring 40 points.
2: I I said this at the beginning of the year that I thought definitely that Texas A&M would probably be the game that Alabama would have to circle on their calendar. Right now, I'm not so sure. They're missing their starting quarterback right now. Not really sure how that's going to play out. They really struggled when he went down. um, Barely edged out a victory against Colorado. So, but yeah, Ole Miss right now. If I'm on Ole Miss's schedule, I am absolutely terrified because those are the teams that are really, really dangerous. I don't care what their record says when you play them. A team that can just willingly put up 50 points or 40 plus points with ease, like nobody's business, that's dangerous, especially when you're talking about getting in a shootout with them. So if I'm Alabama, and and especially now, I think it's a really important matchup for Alabama. After we just saw Florida expose them in their run game, they have a really good running back. I think his name's Eli. Or something like, it's Something along those lines. I don't really know. Or maybe Eli, something like that. He's really freaking good. And Matt Corral is really freaking good. I, I said someone, I said this to my buddy the other day that Matt Corral probably is in the Heisman conversation right now. Because a lot of your pr- projected Heisman finalists, like Spencer Rattler, Sam Howe, DJU right now, straightly really are struggling. They're struggling. So who else would you put in there right now? I think Matt Corral definitely has to be one. Maybe you can throw in JT Daniels right now. Bryce Young, of course, he's playing up to how he's supposed to. Um, he's looking good, but yeah, I think Matt Corral is probably in the Heisman conversation right now in week th- after uh, three weeks into the season. But yeah, if I, Ole Miss, I think, is very dangerous for anybody in the West right now and for any SEC opponent, just of how scary and talented their offense is, especially when you have someone like Lane Kiffin as your head coach, and we know the type of head coach he is. He's just an offensive mastermind. So. Yeah, I think the Ole Miss. I think the Ole Miss matchup for Alabama is the one to circle on your calendars
1: right now. Not the Texas A&M right now. I'm going to hold on that one. Um, I don't think we're selling. If we want to go to, the, yeah, to buy, yeah. hold, or sell, I don't think we're selling on that game yet. But I would say hold. I, hold I'm on not it right sure now. Yet. Yeah. But I'm putting the Ole Miss game in that conversation right now, and I think that they can
2: also kind of start be putting in that conversation, like you said, as maybe. Now this is long shot right now. I mean it's it's really early to say this in week three, but there may be a team that could have one loss at the end of the year, not necessarily make the SEC championship game. But be sitting on the outside with one loss, it all would just depend on what else the rest of college football does in every other conference. But definitely and then we get
1: to sit back on our couch and watch a, Just the madness unfold. Oh, can you imagine? Because the argument has been insane over the past few years about having that second SEC team get in there. Yeah. And then it did happen with Georgia and Alabama back in 2017. And they proved that those were undoubtedly the best and teams. And they went and played on in, into the national championship game. Exactly. They both deserved to be there that year. They wore those teams – And so it'll be interesting to see that, Like once again, I would almost lock in that there's going to be two SEC teams because of the way things are playing out, because I do think that Georgia and Bama end up getting there undefeated. And so at that point, whoever loses that game, they have the right to be in the playoffs, especially with the way other things are playing out around college football. And at that point, it comes down to a one-loss Clemson team if they go the rest of the way undefeated. Um, A... Maybe an undefeated Oklahoma, and I will say that if there's an undefeated Oklahoma who wins their conference championship, they'll be in. You you can go ahead and lock them in as a third spot because even though they've struggled some, like I I don't see them leaving them I'm out. Telling you, it's going to think de- they should. and I, potentially I, I, it's, it's an argument.
2: It's it's going to depend on what Oregon does. It's going to depend gonna say, on what yeah. Iowa does. It's going to depend on what Ohio State does. It's going to depend on what Cincinnati does at this point. I'm telling you, I would. I'm not. I am not convinced that an undefeated Oklahoma, granted that they continue to struggle. That's the key part. If they continue to struggle like they are right now, I don't know that an undefeated season for Oklahoma would be enough in a scenario where you have just a ton of teams that are one loss or no
1: loss at all. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because I think the guaranteed the one loss team going to be in there, once again, is going to be whoever loses the SEC championship game. To me, me, that's the lock. And so there will be a one loss team in there. The rest of them, because think about that. Like, say, say Oregon goes undefeated. Yeah, get, say yeah. Oklahoma goes undefeated. Clemson wins out. Say freaking Iowa goes undefeated and wins Iowa the goes Big undefeated. Ten. Right, so you have those four teams fighting for that last spot. Dude, this makes me so excited. I so hope this Or happens. two spots because the the I didn't put yeah, Oklahoma yeah. In two, there yet. Two spots. This that made me so excited. I think at it. that point oh, you have man. a lock. Of unless or or unless Oklahoma like changes something, I think the the lock of the next undefeated team at that point, I think they would give credit to either Iowa or Oregon, mm-hmm. and they would give them the edge because of what we've been seeing from yeah. Oklahoma so far. It, like, once again, there's still nine games in the regular season plus a conference championship for all of these teams, so ten more games to be played before we get to this point. So this is a huge speculation on like the rest of the season. Oh, yeah. This is a huge what if scenario. No doubt.
2: But tons of football to be played. Right. It's still exciting. But the
1: scenario could be insane for those last couple of spots because you're going to have those teams right there. Plus you're going to what if what if there's another SEC team that only has one loss on either side the west or the east at that point. Game on, baby. That fourth I think that the you know the third spot will be competitive enough for like the lock. But then that fourth spot potentially this year could be the most competitive playoffs like spot in the history of college football playoff. Legitimately, and I stand by that. And, like, there's been controversy where Georgia thought they should be in with two losses before, where Texas A&M was the fifth team left out last year. And, like, this happens consistently where it's been a big argument and stuff. But I think that there will be more teams in that argument this year than there have ever been before because of the way things are playing out right now. Because it's opened the door for teams like Oregon to have a genuine shot. Could you imagine, like, having, like, eight teams that you have
2: a legit case to be in the college football club. I just, I really hope that happens. Cause I
1: just want to, I would, that just to, sparks bigger debate on the 12 oh, team or 18. Yeah. yeah.
2: And it's just going to spark even more conversation of Like this is why we need to expand the playoff and blah, blah, blah. which it, it is going to anyways. But so nonetheless, I just want to see it happen because one Twitter would be an absolute field day just to read everything that I was going through all the takes coming through <laughs> And then just to imagine the media trying to pick four teams out of
1: potentially eight. I, I'm here for it, man. I want to see it. I think that would be just an absolute blast. We'll wrap it up with this on it. And after having a COVID-filled season last year that just – it was fun to have college football at all, but it was a very different type of season, and it wasn't exactly what everyone wanted as like a whole season. There was no fans in the stands, that kind of thing. So it was a very different, a lot less like exciting of a full season season. This one's this one's one that's going to be fun to buckle in. Back, baby. And see how it all comes down to at the football end of it. Is back. And that's all I got to say. I think it's going to be a fun year. We're quarter way through and I it's going to be an exciting one to watch. No doubt. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, as always, Jeremiah Sodard, Jonathan Williams here. Catch us again next week. We will break down, you know, the Vanderbilt beatdown. We didn't even touch on that because it's Vanderbilt. They're going to win by 90. That's an exaggeration, Sorry, but they're going to want to win by 90 after last year. So, um, we'll, we'll We'll catch you guys on that part with a recap of it, and then looking forward to the rest of the season as well. After that, catch us on social media on Facebook.com/slash DogsDailyPod, and then also on Twitter at DogsDailyPod. You can also reach out to us directly on there as well. We love you know socializing with everybody on there as well. Make sure you reach out to our guy here. Um, we got this yes. from Georgia Autographs and it is a Nick Chubb autographed Eclipse replica helmet. It is amazing in person. It looks good on camera, but it looks incredible in person. So Make sure you check his stuff out. It's definitely worth it. His site has incredible stuff on there right now. He's also got a autograph signing and meet and greet set up for October 3rd, so just in a couple weeks, for um, Adam Anderson. Still on the team. Guess what? NIL stuff? He can have him set up at the Hyatt Place in Athens on October 3rd. Make sure you check it out. We're going to stop by and see everything and see what's going on there. So you should as well. But until next week, keep it classy in the classic city and go dogs.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Dogs Daily on Sports Illustrated. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Dogs Daily crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at Jeremiah underscore Stodd7, to Kyle at DKFubderberg, and Jonathan at twenty two underscore J Man. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime, go dogs. <laughs>